We just thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank for this opportunity to come before you and worship you. We ask that you guide and lead us in all that we learn from the word today in your son's precious name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. All right, Colossians 3, 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. So we're looking at this. We're talking about the flesh being... <coughs> crucified before in the last chapter. He talked about the, that we're dead to our life. And he says, if we then be with, be risen with Christ. Okay, first he's going to kill our flesh. Now, if we are his children, his desire is that our flesh is to be crucified in Galatians 2.20. And even in Colossians 2, we talked all about the flesh being dead. And the desires of the flesh being dead. Now I wish they stayed dead, and I'm sure most of you do too. How many times do we keep doing the wrong things over and over and over again, and yet God says our flesh is dead in his sight? Now, he, he actually treats us as he knows we're going to be, and that's good, because if, we, if he treated us the way we act and the way we behave, we'd be in trouble. So he sees us as perfect. And we've talked about this. When you get saved, he declares us perfect. You know, we need to see ourselves that way because God, that is where our victory comes in with God, is to be perfect. Knowing that he sees us that way. You know, I've dealt with children many years, and you know, most parents see their kids as perfect. At least when you tell them how bad their kids have been in Sunday school, they'll tell you, not my little angel. Now, you listen to them when they're about talking to them about being at home. They understand that their kids aren't perfect. But they expect their kids to be perfect in, in, uh, in that. But, you know, that's kind of the way God is with us. Satan goes to the father and he says, you know, uh, your child down there has been misbehaving. And God goes, what child is misbehaving? And there's a verse in Zechariah, I believe it's chapter 4, where it says, the high priest was standing before God and Satan was accusing him before God. And God told the angels, change his garments, give him clean clothes, put a new mitre on his head. And then he turns to Satan, okay, now what's your problem? <laughs> you know, what, what was your problem with this uh, wonderful, well-dressed child of mine? <laughs> well, uh, he had bad clothing on. He, was, he wasn't behaving right. And God says, it looks fine to me. It was a great picture of how God deals with Satan when Satan comes to accuse us. Now, that doesn't mean we go out and we sin as much as we can so God can clean, clean us up all the time and, and defend us that way. But it does say when we do fail, God still loves us. And he says, their sin is covered. My son died for their sin so that they will be covered in his righteousness. And it's very important for us to really understand this. He says, if you then be risen with Christ, and this if is if and you are if you're his child... If you're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. You know, we're supposed to be seeking God, seeking the things of God. Have you ever heard anybody say the statement, he's so heavenly minded he's of no earthly good? <laughs> yeah. You know, 
I wish everybody was heavenly minded because if you were heavenly minded seeking the things of God, then you would be treating people on this world the way God treats them. You know, Christians are responsible for orphanages and hospitals originally you know, because we said, okay, God cares for these people, we're going to take care of them. Their mind was focused on God and they came down and they applied it to this world. Now we're getting further and further away from the Christian viewpoint on those things, but they started because of these activities. You know, when Christianity first started, if you got hurt, if you could pay, afford a doctor, you were lucky. If not, you were just left there until maybe you might live. And if you died, that was what your destiny was between the gods and you, and, no, and you were just not strong enough to live, and you deserved to die. And they had, the, they had an abortion in that day and age. It just wasn't before they were born. Kids were born. You didn't want the kid. You threw it in the river. Or you put it in the, on the altar to a god. You know, same thing, abortion. They just did it after the fact, which to us may sound even harsher than what we do, but it's still just as bad. We're still killing a life. You know, and God says, think about these things. Think about these things. What does he care about? How do we get to know about what he cares about? We study the word. We study the word. And, you know, I'm, I understand, you know, the more that we read the word, the more we study his word, the more we start thinking like God. And this is the most important thing. You know, we've talked about this. You know, there used to be those old verses that said, uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I commented a couple weeks ago, those are wonderful thoughts. But if every time you're thinking about what would Jesus do, you had to stop what you were doing in the middle of what you're doing and say, okay, Jesus, what would you do? And I had, I had five seconds to think about it, and it's too late. Because <laughs> your mouth is already running on saying the things you shouldn't be saying because you're trying to think out what should I be doing, and your mouth is already engaged. And most of us speak before we think. You know, we need to have our mind changed so what Jesus would do comes out immediately. You know, because we are fleshly beings, we're going to act from the flesh first. You know, it's just the way we are unless God is so filling us that he comes right behind us with his word. And hopefully we know him so well that his word comes out almost as fast as the flesh. But this is what he's saying. Think on those things which are above. And what kind of things? In, in Matthew 6, 33, it said, seek, ye, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his will, and all these things shall be added unto you. The context of chapter 6 was he provides food. He provides drink. He provides raiment. He provides everything for us. Do we realize that if we really trust in God, he will provide for us? You know, how many times do we sit down and we go, okay, God, I don't know how I'm going to deal with these things. And God's saying, trust me. You know, I, I can tell you, I tell everybody, you know, you need to trust God. Yes, I know I need to trust God. I truly trust in God, but I still don't know what I'm going to do. And you just want to tell them, well, that's the problem, is you're still trying to do it yourself instead of trusting him. Now, that doesn't mean we just sit, and I've said this, it doesn't mean we go sit in our room and wait for God to pour the blessings on us, but I don't sit there and worry about it. I go, God, this is yours, and I'm going to wait for you to show me how I'm doing it. And I go out and work and do whatever I have to do. But, you know, it's amazing what God will do for you when it's the right time. The blessings he will do for you. The times where you, you have a bill that's needing to be paid, and you're going, God, I just don't know how it's going to be paid. I'm putting it in your hands, and a job opportunity pops up. A gift comes in the mail. A, you know, 
uh, somebody will call you, especially if you have some kind of expertise, you know, uh, I need this sewing job. Can you do this sewing job? Or can you do this? Or can you do that? In my case, it was, I've got this computer job that needs to be done. Can you do this computer job? I go, okay, God, there's, my, there's the provision for this, this need. God wants to bless us. How many of us have a picture of God as somebody that just wants to bless us with a little eyedropper? You know, most Christians have this picture of God saying, okay, how little can I give them to keep them happy? That is not who God is. Now, if we're living in sin, he's going to use an eyedropper and give us as little as possible. But if you're really trying to follow him, he's looking to pour out buckets of blessing over you because he's a good, loving father. Now, if you're living in sin, don't expect the blessings. <laughs> you know, he'll give you the bare minimum and keep you alive, but, you know, how many of us as a, as a parents, you know, look at our kid and go, okay, you want, you know, a car that works, so I'm just going to give you a car that doesn't work. <laughs> and I'm going to give you a car that has no engine and tell you to have fun with it. You know, is, that's not what we're going to do unless we have a kid who loves to work on cars. You know, that might be a blessing to that kid, but for most of the kids, they want a car that works. God is going to do that, and he wants us. If we're focused on him, he's going to give us good things. It says, set your affection on things above, not on the things of this earth. Oh, man, how many of us have problems with that one? How many of us really put all of our affection and attention on God? Or is all of our affection and attentions on, you know, the Super Bowl that was just played or... Uh, um, what's the new one coming up? NASCAR that's coming up, or spring training that's coming up if you're a baseball fan. You know, we're all anxious for those things and whatever else. Put your, put, your, put your favorite thing that you may be looking forward to. Or is your affection going, I just can't wait to get to church and spend time with God's Word. I can't, can't wait to be able to share the gospel with people. I just can't wait to be able to think about what God wants me to think about. Where is our affection? Is it for God? Or is it on this world? And oh, it can be so easy to be on this world. For some people, it could be their grandkids. I'm just so excited about my grandkids coming out. And I am excited about my grandkids coming out. But you know what? You're all going to see my grandkid when he comes out because he's going to be in church. <laughs> because that's where he's going. You know. uh, but you know, how many people, when they get family in town, will go, well, I can't come to church. My family's in town. Your family didn't know you go to church? You know, kind of boggles my mind, actually. You know, you know, if they don't want to come, that's fine, but they don't know that you're coming, to, that you normally go to church. There's a problem with your relationship with your family then. Uh, they should know that when they come, you, you normally go to church, and they want to spend it, come to church with you. And I'm not saying if you do that, it's wrong. But, you know, where is your affection? What is number one in your life, and what is number two, three, four, five? God should be number one in our life, always. Always number one. And then family will come in number two under, under God. And then for those who are still working, then you have work coming into the, underneath there. The problem for many of us, including myself, sometimes work gets put up almost always to number two and sometimes even to number one in our life. And we've got to be careful that we do not put our life out of order because God must be number one in our life because he is the one that, is going to give us all the blessings. He's the one that tells us how to get through things. Our affections need to be on him because our fulfillment comes from him. You know, I've shared with, with you at various times, you know, I love God so much 
And I've talked with sometimes, I've talked with somebody, you know, that, that was, says he was an atheist. And I'm going, oh, that's good. Are you enjoying life? Well, not really. I'm ne I never feel, and I go, well, what about you? And, you know, what if God doesn't exist? I like to use what if. And I go, you know what? If God is not real and God is not true, I have lost nothing because he has blessed me so much in this world that I've lived a very enjoyable life with him and lived a blessed life. And you know what? The very fact that I've lived an enjoyable, blessed life proves to me that God is who he says he is and has a heavenly home for me in the future. But you know what? I have lost nothing. I have lost nothing if he's not. Those who don't believe in God and are trying to live for the moment, they're living for their party on Friday night that they don't remember anything about on Saturday morning, you know, and that is what they're living for. They're living for their work, and they're not going to be satisfied when they get to the top of the, the heap. They're, they're living to stay in shape and looking good and never being happy with what they see. It's never, never enough, and then eventually age is going to catch up on them anyway, and they're not going to have the looks that they work so hard to keep. Uh, those who are looking for money, eventually their money goes to their kids and all they've done is spoiled their, made their kids spoiled because they didn't have to work for it. You know, I look forward to saying, God, you have blessed me. You have given me blessings. You have kept me. So when I meet these people and they go, well, what if you're wrong? I'm going, I've lost nothing. God has been good. You know, and they go, well, you keep saying God. I go, well, you're right, I, I do, but God is good. Whether you want to believe him or not, it doesn't matter to me. He's good all the time. <laughs> you know, so we look at this and say, God, what blessings do you have for us? Are my affections set on God or something else? You know, and it's very important to you, and I'm hoping that each person in here that's listening has understood. You know, the more we get to know God, the more he changes who we are, the more blessed we start feeling and the more excited we get about life. Not because we're getting anything even, it's just he is filling us. Every one of us was created for God to dwell inside of us. And if he's not dwelling inside of us, we're missing something. And you know what, I've talked to so many people that don't know him and they're missing something. They don't know what they're missing. They're trying to fill it with everything under the sun. You know, and you know, those are the kind of people that they're really looking, tell them to read Ecclesiastes. Solomon was trying to fill his life with everything under the sun. He knew God and walked away from God and then didn't go back to God. He tried to fill it up. And if you read, read Ecclesiastes, he did just about everything there was to fill that emptiness. He had so much wealth that it said silver was worthless in the kingdom of Israel. That's a lot of wealth. That's a lot of wealth when silver has no value whatsoever. And he had wealth and he wasn't happy. He made all kinds of public activities and parks and everything and, and wasn't happy. You know, he did everything there was to do. You know, collect, he, he collected just a few women. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't remember how many, a thousand altogether between his wives and his concubines, he just collected a few, <laughs> found out that there was no pleasure in relationships. Everything he did, he came to the conclusion of nothing filled the void until he turned back to God. You know, and he's a great example because he took everything to the extreme. You know, everything to the extreme. Well, if I just had a little more money, everything would be okay. Well, Solomon wasn't okay with money. You know, it didn't fill the emptiness. 
you know, and that's he's a good one to be looking at because he did everything to the uttermost extreme. And then it says in verse three, for we are dead, or for you are dead, and your life is hidden Christ with Christ in God. God puts our life in Christ. This is one of the favorite phrases that Paul has all through the scriptures, that you are in Christ Jesus. Why are we put in Christ Jesus? Because he is perfect righteousness. We ask Jesus Christ into our heart. We confess our sins and say, God, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. Please come and forgive me. And he says, okay, my blood has forgiven you. And now, not only that, I am going to hide you in me. So what does the Father see when he looks down at you? He sees Jesus Christ's righteousness. What a blessing to be seen as Jesus. The Father looks down at us and says, this is my child. Not only that, this is my perfect child because he sees the righteousness of Christ. If we want to try to live and go our own way, Isaiah tells us that all our righteousness is filthy rags. How many of you have ever witnessed to somebody and had them say, well, I hope I'm going to be good enough to go to heaven? Well, I hope you're good enough to go to heaven too, but you're going to stand before God in in filthy filthy rags. And God's going to look down at you and say, goodbye. You You don't have the right clothing to come into heaven. You're not perfect. He looks at us as Christians. We stand before him and we are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. He says, there's my child. Come on in. Come on in. The preciousness of salvation and the work that God does for us. He sees us as perfect. He has adopted us into his family. He says, just let me crucify your flesh and I'm going to come out of you. The more we get crucified in the flesh, the more we get into God's word, the more we become like him. You know, I've had people tell me, well, you, know, you need to tell us how to live a better life. Well, I keep telling people how to live a better life. Let God crucify your flesh, fill your mind with his thoughts, and you will live a better life, a more godly life, a more righteous life. Well, you know, and what people really want when they, when they say that is, okay, do these steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and you're going to be righteous. No, you will be legalistic in your beliefs. That is not how we end up trying to please God. God is not saying, check off your boxes each day. You got up in the morning, you said your half hour, hour of prayer, check. You read your Bible, check. You, you made a phone call to encourage somebody, check. Somewhere in the day you witnessed to me, check. That's not what God is looking for. Now, are all those things bad and terrible things to do? Absolutely not. They're really good things to do. I want to get up each morning and pray and be in fellowship with God. I want to get up each morning and, and read my Bible. And I've told you, if I don't read my Bible in the morning, I'm in trouble because what I was supposed to read was just what I needed to learn to, to get through the day. And I follow a Bible schedule. It's amazing how God makes the Bible schedule match up to my day each, each, each day. You know, so there's nothing wrong with these things that we kind of think of as a checklist, but if we're doing it only to say, God, I've marked off my checklist, then we're wrong. We're doing it from the wrong motivation. If we're reading the Bible and, it's, and our job is just to get through our two or three chapters that day, wrong motivation. You might as well pick up uh, War and Peace and read, read two or three chapters out of War and Peace if that's your only purpose is to mark off, I've, checked, I've, read, my, I've read these chapters. 
we should be going in and saying, God, what is it you want me to learn from today's reading? How is this reading going to get me through the day? And I know when I say this, you know, you all have agreed with me. I can see it on many people's faces. It's amazing when you read that scripture that it's exactly what you need that day. What's really bad is if you read the scripture at the end of the day, and you go, oh, man, I needed this all day long. <laughs> you know, uh, and you kind of go, and you know, it's not wrong to read it, read it at night, but I really do believe, just as David says, I go early in the morning before you. Jesus started his morning in prayer. He said early in the morning before the others got up, he would go into prayer and spend time with the Father. Why? Because we are fleshly beings, and if we don't focus ourselves on God, we're going to live in the flesh that day. The more we can focus our mind on God and the things above in the morning, the better off we're going to be. Because you can struggle. I know I do. If I don't read the Bible, I don't, you know, I get up late, and all of a sudden I'm running off to work. I have a real hard time living a spiritual life that day, you know, because I'm just not there. Now, I got a 30-minute drive to work, so I get to listen to some pastor every morning <laughs> for 30 minutes, so I do get some filling anyway, but I still need my personal time with God to make life really easy that day. And then my, when I've done it right, it's amazing how many of the prisoners I get to talk to and witness to and be able to use what God shared with me that morning with some of them. Because they come to me all the time with questions. They come to me all the time with questions about the Bible and about different things. So it's a lot of fun. Where is our mind? Where are our affections for that day? Is my mind on the world and the flesh, or is my mind on God? You know, and it's really easy to start the morning with read your newspaper, watch a half hour or hour of news, and go right on with your, with your life. You know, how's the stock market doing? Uh, are we at war yet with anybody else, uh, new in this world? You know, all the things we could be filling our mind with uh, in the morning. And God says, set your affections on me. And then in verse 4, it says, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. Note that it says when Christ, not if Christ comes. Jesus is coming back. He was resurrected from the dead after his crucifixion, spent 40 days wandering, walking this world with the disciples, was taken up into heaven, and the angel says he's coming back. Now Jesus said he was coming back soon. That was 2,000 years ago. Soon, by God's standards, is just a little longer than what we think soon is. But, he, you know, today is sooner than it was yesterday, sooner than it was 100 years ago, sooner than it was 2,000 years ago. He is coming back soon. Maybe in our lifetime, as we look around and see what's going on in this world, he may be coming back in our lifetime. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that he is, but he says, I'm coming back soon. He says, things will be as the days of Noah, where men did nothing but evil. Our, our world is getting pretty evil. Now, I don't know if we're to the point where it's nothing but evil and doing everything in their, that their imagination of their heart gets to. I don't know if we're there yet. If we're not, we're getting awfully close because we've got all kinds of people who talk to you and they justify anything they do. You know, almost anything is justified. The sad thing is it's justified by church and Christian people often. You know, oh, I'm just going to live together in, in fornication because I just, it's what I think is okay. 
Well, worse yet, they'll tell you, God told me that I could do this. Well, it says in my Bible that that's sin. Well, God told me I could. Well, then you heard, you're listening to the wrong God. Because I can tell you one thing. God is never going to tell you to do something that in the Bible he tells you not to do. Okay? Now, there are some things he may tell you that aren't in the Bible as a clear thou shalt not. But there are a lot of things that are thou shalt not. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit fornication. You not, shall not have uh, homosexuality. Those are things he says no to. So if somebody comes along and says, well, I've been told I can live together with somebody and not be married, I'm going, nope, that's not what God says. You know, a young person saying, well, I think I'm really in love with this person. I think God has said I can marry this person. Are they saved? No. Then God didn't tell you to go marry that person. He says, do not be unequally yoked. You know, there's certain things that we can absolutely for sure say God did not say. Now, there's some that aren't so clear. Now, you know, somebody says, well, I want to take a drink. Okay, well, God says don't be drunk. <laughs> if you can take a drink and not be drunk, then that's between you and God. But if you're getting drunk, God says no. <laughs> you know, but we want to be able to look at this and say, what is it that he's doing? We are in Christ. He is our life. We are focused on what he wants us to do, hopefully, if we're one of his children. And we don't be obedient to him because we're trying to chalk up a bunch of brownie points. You know, well, I just got to do this because if I do this, God is really going to like it. Well, he probably will like it, but it's not going to mean anything to him, to him just because you're doing it for that reason. He says, if you're doing it to be seen by people and get brownie points, you've got to reward already. Your real reward comes from those times when you just come out of a situation, all of a sudden you look back and go, wow, that was a wonderful situation. I, I had a really good time talking to that person. I had no plans to. I had no, you know, I helped this person. And the ones that are really going to be a blessing are those people you help and never knew that you helped until you get to heaven. How many people have you helped by giving to a missionary? Maybe it was just a kind word you said to somebody when they were having a bad day and you just give them a little cup of cold water just by speaking a kind word to them. That you may not even be aware. You were just being nice. And God says, that's where you really bless somebody. You had no ulterior motives for doing it. You just were following me. I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to have many blessings that we know nothing about. And God says, here's your reward for this. Because remember, in the parable, he said, Many of you will come to me and, you know, and he says to the righteous, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was thirsty and you gave me water. I was in the prison and you, and you visited me. And they go, when did we do all that? He says, when you did it to the least, you did it to me. There's going to be so many blessings that we have that we're not even aware of. We're just serving God, being kind, not even trying to draw attention to ourselves. And God says, this was your great blessing. When we stand before Jesus Christ, he says he is coming back. Now, before he comes back, there's a step that comes into the church. He's going to rapture the Christians out of this world. He's going to take Christians from this world. And as Thessalonians tells us, in a twinkling of an eye, the Christians will be taken from this world. And Satan will rule this world for seven years. Now, when we say rule this world, it does not mean he gets to do everything he wants to do because his desire would be to destroy everything off the top of, right off the bat and not have any chance for God to redeem them. 
Satan always has to ask God for permission to do things. Job is that picture to us. He goes to God and says, uh, God says, well, what have you been doing? Well, I've been walking around the world. Well, you know, and, you know, we think about this. God pointed Job out to Satan. <laughs> you know, how many of us have been pointed out to Satan by God? Have you considered my servant? You know, put your name in there. And Satan says, yeah, I've considered him, but you've got a, you've got a, a hedge around them. I can't touch him. And God says, okay, you can do this much to them. Do you realize that if Satan had his free will, he would kill the entire world because he wants nobody to make a decision for God? God has him on a leash. Now, a lot of people think that Satan is this alter ego to God. He's as strong as God, you know, and he's God's opposite. No, he is a created being completely under the control of God and being used by God to test us. All the tests we go through that we think are so miserable and terrible when we're going through them. Uh, if you remember back in school, the worst word you wanted to hear from the teacher was pop test or pop quiz. <laughs> you know, and you know, it's an opportunity to show what you know and it was the worst thing we wanted to hear. But we get to live a whole life before God knowing that he's going to give us tests. And you know what? God's not like school. If you fail the test, you do not get to go to the next test. You get to continue that test until you pass it. So if you're really having a hard time in some area and you keep falling in the same place, start asking God to help you pass that test. Because he's not moving to the next one until you pass that one. But he's going to take us from this world. Satan's going to rule in this world for seven years. Then Jesus comes back. While we're up there, we're going to have a great big celebration as Christians. We're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb and enjoy a, a feast for seven years. I can't even imagine a seven-year feast, but that's how long it's going to be. You know, and in our spiritual bodies, we won't get overstuffed. <laughs> and we won't worry about getting fat. <laughs> then we come back with him in glory. We get our glorified bodies at that time, and we come back with him as Jesus reigns for a thousand years on this world. The millennial kingdom. He's going to reign for a thousand years. Those who didn't take the mark of the beast during the seven-year period of life will live with him and will have children and, and work and go through, and it'll be as close to Eden as possible. The animals will be made the way they're supposed to be and liking each other and not killing each other. And for a thousand years, we'll reign with him. And then Satan is released for one last hurrah <laughs> to try to tempt man. You know, and people are, well, why would God do that? Well, I can tell you right now, what, what, if you know about what people say, they say man is basically good, and if they lived in a perfect environment, they would, they would have no problems with sin. They're going to live in a perfect environment for a thousand years, and many are still going to choose to follow Satan. It'll be the last proof that man go, God will say, See, it, it wasn't true. If you're not following me, your affections aren't set on me, you will fall. Now, a lot of us like to think about, well, if I was in Adam and Eve's place, well, if we were in Adam and Eve's place, we probably would have fallen a lot sooner than they did. Yeah. You know, uh, I can't put any blame on them, you know, in reality, because I know I would have fallen. I wonder why they were standing next to the tree, but that's another story altogether. <laughs> you know, they shouldn't have been anywhere near the tree. 
But it says, then we shall appear with him in glory. We will have our glorified bodies. We will be what God says we are when we come back with him. Perfect. Perfect bodies, because we made our choice in this lifetime, we will get a body that will never, ever make a decision to sin. I look forward to that day. You know, I like the fact that God says I'm perfect. You know, that's wonderful. He's, he's declared me perfect, and we've did, talked about that, how it's like a bankruptcy where you, you know you really still owe the debt, but the government, uh, the court says, no, you don't owe the debt anymore. That's God's declaration from the courts of heaven. Perfect. You, your, your sins are paid for. Then we get to spend the rest of our life being sanctified, being made more like him. Becoming more like him with each decision we make. Becoming more like him with each decision that he crucifies. And the more we let him come out. But I tell you, I'm looking forward to the day when I'm glorified. When I am made who he said I was from the very beginning. And for eternity, not having sin be an issue at all. If nothing else, just the idea of remembering what I learn. It's terrible to have learned so much and have forgotten so much. You know, it's terrible to have learned lessons and forgotten them and get to relearn them. You know, and I know everybody else has been there, but you know, the great news is there's coming a day. There's coming a day when we're going to be glorified. And it all comes down to salvation. Salvation is that first issue. Everybody has sin in their life. Even us as Christians have sin in our life. For all of sin, it comes short of the glory of God. We all have sin. And, you know, God says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus died so that we could have eternal life. But he doesn't give eternal life to everybody. He expects them to call upon him as Lord and believe. And we've talked that belief isn't just saying the words. The, the words are, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I, I believe that you died for and come into my life. You, know, you can say those words all day long. They're not abracadabra, you know, I'm changed. You have to mean the words. And what does it mean to believe in him? It means to have no other option in your mind. You know, one of the things that was really popular in the 70s was try Jesus. You know, try Jesus and you'll find out that he works. You know, and I kind of understood what they said about that. It is true that if you turn to God and you totally believe, you're going to find out that he's true. But it's not like, okay, God, I'm going to give you a 30-day chance, and if you don't meet my needs in 30 days, I'm going to reject you because it's obvious you didn't work. That's not what he's, that's not what he's looking for. He says you're to turn to him and say, God, if you're not the only way, I have no other way. If you are not who you say you are and you are not and your word is not true, I have no other option. I have no plan B. And I've told you I'm a I'm a administrator and a manager. I almost always have plan B, C, D, E, and F on the on the on the burner. But when it comes for salvation, I have no plan B. If Jesus is not who he says he is, if he is not God, and if he is not the one that's paid for my sins, I don't have a plan B in place that, okay, I've got something else to go with. Because that's not true belief. He has to be our only way. It's not, okay, Jesus, I'm going to do you and I'm going to do Buddhism. No, again, one way. Totally committed to him or nothing. 
How many of us really have that in our mind that he is the only way for me to live my life? His word is absolutely true. When he says something, I need to believe it. If I don't believe it, I need to go back to the fact that it's true and I need to believe it. You know, um, I've shared many times, especially in the other studies, you know, uh, Dr. McGee used to say that where he and the Bible disagree, the Bible's right and he needed to come in and agree with the Bible. I agree with that statement. You know, the Bible is always true. If you come to a place where you think the Bible is not true, I refer back to first statement number one, the Bible is always true. You know, go back and say, God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to accept that it's true. Help me to understand and, and follow it. Because there's a lot of hard things in the Bible. There's lots of hard truths in the Bible. You know, those who want to be first in the kingdom of God need to be last in the world. You know, so have to be the servant of all. That's not what the world tells us, is it? If you really want to be the, the, the top dog, you've got to put everybody else down and be the top dog. And God says, no, if you really want to be lifted up in my kingdom, you need to serve others. You know, put Jesus first. You know, and the world goes, well, no, put yourself first. Do what's best for you. you know, we go through God's word, and there's all kinds of things that make no sense in the flesh. You know, no sense in the flesh at all. And they say, and God says, follow me. Do what I want and follow the blessings that I have for you. So we need to really look at putting him number one. God, you say this, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make you number one in my life and follow you. And that's the challenge I have for each of us today. Where is God in your life? Is he number one? Or is he number two, three, four, or somewhere else down the line? Is, are my affections on him? What can keep me from his word? What can keep me from praying? What can keep me from sharing Christ with other people? If he's number one, nothing should be able to. Now, none of us are going to be perfect in it. I don't want everybody being totally down on that, but our goal should be to make him number one in all areas. I'm not there, and I know nobody else is there. <laughs> because if we were, we'd probably be Elijah or, or Enoch and be back in heaven with him already. If we had him perfectly number one in our life, we would not be here. But we're going to pray right now and look and say, God, are you number one? And I want you to just think while we're praying, where is God in your life? Do you know him at all? If you don't know him, today is the day to ask him to come into your heart and save you. If you do know him, how important is he? Really just think for a moment as we pray, how important is God in your life? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody here or listening on the internet that doesn't know you, we ask that you convict them right now that they're a sinner and they need to follow you and that they will repent and turn away from their sin and ask you to fill them up. Lord, for those that do know you, Lord, we ask that you help them learn to be filled with your spirit, make you number one in their life and have you be their main focus, let you crucify their flesh and let you be their main focus. And we just thank you for each person that's listening. In Jesus' name, amen.